Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Academy Securities Geopolitical and Macro Strategy Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Robinson, and I'm joined by Rachel Washburn, Peter Chur, Major General James Fighter Marks, and Lieutenant General David Deptula. Today, we're going to be talking in Saudi Arabia and the supposed murder of Washington Post journalist Jamal Khashoggi. We're going to be discussing what it might mean for the relationship between the United States and Saudi Arabia, Turkey, and the entire region. Peter Chur is also going to weigh in on how these events might affect the markets. Rachel, could you lead us off? General Marks, this past week, we've put out a couple sit reps profiling our viewpoint on the developing story out of the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia with the disappearance and likely murder of Washington Post journalist Jamal Khashoggi. Our geopolitical intelligence group has been of the viewpoint that MBS isn't really the reformer he appears to be, that the reforms he proposes are merely low-hanging fruit, a means to an end, an attempt to consolidate power. Sir, what is your view of the long-term impact on the relationship with the kingdom and how it impacts future arms deals and how we navigate the Middle East? Well, Rachel, thanks very much. Hey, it's uh, it's great to be on with you and Peter Shear and uh, Andy Robinson. Great to be on with you, Andy, and also uh, General Dave Deptula, my old friend. So it's it's super. Thanks for the thanks for the question. I got to tell you, it's a it's a tough topic, certainly because it's front page news and it's sucking the air out of the room in terms of you know allowing other forms of discourse to take place. But that's not unusual. So clearly, what we see in terms of how Mohammed bin Salman is really asserting himself. Remember, he's the crown prince. He's not the king. So. He is the king in waiting, or he is the aspirational king, and that can change. So as a result of what just took place in Istanbul and the the murder, and clearly an investigation will take place to determine the details of Khashoggi's murder in the Saudi consulate in Istanbul. But it really speaks volumes in terms of how the Saudis view their relationship primarily with the United States and how they view themselves as a player internationally. The Saudi is, there's no lack of brutality and inhumanity and control that takes place in the kingdom of Saudi Arabia. I mean, every day there are acts of brutality against the people, but if it's internal to the country, that's internal dynamics, it's politics insert inside that nation. And the United States has to take a long view in terms of its geopolitical relevance in the region. And it's always had a strong relationship with Saudi Arabia. We have to be able to overlook its internal challenges. And we have to be able to establish the rules for how we, the United States, want to engage in that part of the world with them as a partner. And that's what they are. They are a partner going forward. The challenge here is what probably would be normal behavior, albeit brutal, Uh, incredibly unbelievable to us that a journalist would be murdered um, by Saudis in some type of a controlled way. And the problem with MBS conducting this, or at least authorizing it, or at least acquiescing to its taking place, is that he allowed this to take place in Istanbul. Now, clearly, you know, diplomatically, Saudi Arabia owns their consulate or their embassy, wherever it is in the world. So that's Saudi territory, but that's a that's a, it's a legality I don't even want to open the door on because it's irrelevant here. The fact is the Turks allowed these murderers to come in and conduct this brutal act against Khashoggi on 
Turkish territory, and the Sauds allowed this to occur and, in fact, endorsed it. So is MBS a reformer? I, I would say clearly he's trying to reform the kingdom and move it in the direction that allows it to be more open, but let's let's not fool ourselves. You can't extract the DNA from Mohammed bin Salman just like you can't from anyone else who's in a leadership position and has grown in that position from day one of his birth. So MBS is MBS. He's putting on the cloak of a reformer, but he also allows this type of brutality to take place. So the United States has an obligation to take a step back and then dive in further from here and figure out if that fundamentally alters our relationship with Saudi Arabia. My short assessment to that is it can't. Our geostrategic imperatives are far too important. General Deptula, the next question's for you. Our relationship with Saudi Arabia has had its ups and downs, and of top of mind is the post-9-11 relationship with the kingdom. Uh, given that all the hijackers were from Saudi Arabia, and they had some sort of, we ascribe some sort of tacit involvement, that changed our diplomatic, military, and economic relationship with them. But even an event as catastrophic and significant as 9-11 had relatively short-term impact, and we maintain that strategic partnership with the kingdom. What do you see as the long-term or short-term impact of this international event? Well, again, uh, thanks, Rachel, for the opportunity to comment. You know, to put it succinctly, I agree with uh, much of what uh, General Marks has uh, stated. I, I guess I'd summarize that by telling you my perspective is that the business environment with respect to the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia may be affected by this situation in the near term, but will remain essentially unaffected in the long term. And that is, quite frankly, the geostrategic importance of the U.S.-Saudi relationship relative to larger Mideast concerns like Iran, is way too important to let this incident affect long-term business partnerships uh, and or foreign military sales agreements. Now, all that said, the media coverage surrounding this event is going to demand some semblance of a response. And I think it's going to be crafted to be meaningful in the near term, but not harmful in the long run. That means it, it could include postponement of the arms sales agreements, or making it conditional or future arms sales agreements conditional on the future behavior of the Saudi government, putting them on notice that any similar act will result in termination of future arms sales or something uh, similar. All of that said, I I think that, you know, there is concern uh, in the Congress and among the American public. I mean, I I think Senator uh, Ben Sass said it uh, well on uh, TV this weekend when he stated that, quote, we don't do arms sales for the purpose of profits from arms sales. We do arms sales because we want to be allied with different countries around the globe that believe in our values. We need to recognize that arms sales are always a means to an end. They're not the end. The end is an American idea. And the end is stability in the world so that problems abroad don't come home to roost for us, unquote. Now, If you decompose that statement, it's excellent because on the one hand, it talks about upholding American values, but at the end, it also addresses the importance of assuring stability in the world, and our partnership with Saudi Arabia allows us to do that. So it's a complex situation, but one ultimately where long-term interest I think Trump short-term reaction. 
perhaps this is an unnecessary question, but should the relationship with the kingdom continue to deteriorate, who does the U.S. look to or does the U.S. have a viable option as a replacement to the kingdom as a competitor in the region to Iran? Rachel, I think that's too big of a hypothetical. I don't think anybody's talking about uh, terminating relationships with Saudi Arabia. I mean, that, that's my point, and that, that relationship is too important uh, uh, to forego uh, or turn our backs on Saudi Arabia in terms of diplomatic and or military relationships vis-a-vis the larger challenges uh, in the Mideast. Um, I, 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 I don't see that happening in any way, shape, or form. And Rachel, let me jump in on the, on the tail end of General Deptula's comment. The additional concern that I would have is if we were to demarche Saudi Arabia vigorously, if we were to walk away from an ongoing established relationship, if we were to dissolve our military training mission, which has been in place in Saudi since 1953, if we were to begin to take apart or at least at least disassemble in some way these deep connections we have with Saudi Arabia that we've established over the course of decades, we would lose both physical access, economic access, and political influence in the region. And to Dave's point, we cannot afford to do that, and we would never do that, simply because we want to make sure that we can continue to advance U.S. values across the globe. So we really do need to be able to make sure we can walk our way very gingerly through this problem but realizing we have to walk through it, we can't walk away from it. Peter, given uh, some of this commentary, what is your view um, and, and what would you say to some of our clients given our outlook? Yeah, I think you're supposed to continue expecting us to do business as usual with Saudi going forward. There might be some changes, but despite what's going on in the press right now, markets are acting very calmly. One of the things I think that is worth looking at is the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia issued 4.5% 2030-year bond just in April this year. Those traded as high as 4.7% yield back in May. They're not even to that yield level. So on an outright yield basis, the market is not panicking, which you would expect it. And actually on a spread basis, so a spread to treasuries, they're actually tighter now than when they were issued or in mid-August when all of the emerging markets were selling off. So I think a quick look at the bond market tells you that people are not overly concerned that this is going to play to the detriment of you know our relationships over time. We've seen some selling off in the aerospace and defense names, both on the bond side and the equity side. We came up with an idea last week that people should be taking advantage and buying aerospace and defense, both the bonds and the stocks. On the back of this, as we do think, as General Deptua and General Marx have said, there'll be some short-term potential problems, but long-term it's not likely to change anything. Um, The other most interesting part from my perspective has been if you look at the difference between Brent oil and WTI, it's back to above $10 difference. So Brent oil, kind of, you know, Middle Eastern oil to a large degree, is trading now $10 higher than WTI. And that's something that we're seeing a lot more of, where as we become energy self-sufficient, we can trade at a um, discount to Brent crude. And that's very important for our businesses. It lets us grow. We just put out a research report that you were involved with last week where geopolitical intersects with energy. And what we're really kind of seeing is this desire to trade with quote unquote safe energy producers. So that's been blowing out. I think that makes sense. People should be shifting their oil needs to the U.S., to Canada, to places like Australia, to the Northern Sea, where you avoid some of this increasing geopolitical conflict. Hey, Peter, may I ask a quick question? 
You know, it, the point that you're making, I, I find fascinating in that the, we continue to see what I would call international incidents that are not normative. You know, there are different pressures that appear at different points, you know, like North Korea shooting missiles, uh, blowing up nukes, the PRC exercising its Navy, building islands, establishing a presence in the South China Sea, the Russians poisoning folks in the UK. Yet the market kind of yawns at all of that. And we're seeing that now with this incident in Turkey with the, the Saudi journalist. What are your, your thoughts in terms of what, what incidents would move the market if these don't? You know, I think it has to be something that really threatens more people, more the global economy. When you look at the stocks here that are driving our market, you know, it's a lot of these FANG stocks, the Apples, the Facebooks, the Amazons on the world. And whether it's good or bad from a human standpoint, I think the reality is some of these incidents just aren't going to impact their businesses. And I think that's really what's at the crux of the matter is so long as these seem to be able to be relatively contained incidences, and in some cases, probably sadly, almost business as usual for those countries, but that we've kind of accepted that's the way it is, it's going to be tough. I think something has to escalate into something resembling military armed conflict much more and even then, I would say as five years ago, certainly 10 years ago, we would see oil reacting much more dramatically to what's going on. But with the onset of fracking and the growth of U.S. production, where we're now actually a net exporter, I think it becomes harder and harder for the Middle East to have that sort of impact that it once did. So while I'm cautious about what's going on there, I'm really, from a market standpoint, worried about something that triggers into armed conflict that could drag larger countries into it. And away from that, I think... The sad part is you just have to go on with business as usual. You know, the, the other thing that I see with this is um, we've really, over the course of years, as Peter's indicated, we've gone from being a net importer to a net exporter of uh, oil and gas that our relationship with Saudi Arabia specifically has always been def defined as access to oil when really what we're seeing now is access to influence. We need to be able to be in the region so that we have a presence and we can put a finger on the pulse of everything that's happening in the region and we can clearly balance against Tehran. I mean, that's a focus that I think um, most of, the, of America would say, look, this is all about oil. And I would say, yeah, we've reached the point where it's not all about oil. It's all about influence. It's all about access and being able to exercise that influence. Uh, that makes perfect sense. And I think we're already seeing kind of oil being less important than it used to be. China is starting trading oil already directly in their own currency. Saudi is supposedly one of the biggest users of those contracts. So in terms of oil production and oil selling, you're seeing a growing relationship between China and Saudi, I think, as we've been able to step back, which is probably a good thing for us, the stepping back part, at least. Yeah, and it's a necessary requirement on our part to remain present if, as you described, Beijing and Riyadh are starting to build a relationship, the United States should be in the middle of that, establishing, making sure its voice is not lost and what that future and burgeoning relationship looks like. That's what I would say. It's classic politics among nations, and we need to make sure we're present for it. Yeah, I think, uh, Rachel, let me jump in here, too. I think one of the other uh, points, and maybe I'm uh, preempting a question you're about to ask, but it, it, it is the involvement of uh, Turkey, particularly Turkish President uh, Erdogan, in terms of how he is going to interact in this whole issue. 
It's my understanding that he is going to uh, lay out some of his perspectives and the evidence that the Turks claim that they have regarding what happened with the Khashoggi. Perhaps we'll get more insight into how Turkey's role in uh, the dynamic between Saudi Arabia and the United States plays out. And I think one of the associated areas that we haven't delved into yet is the status of MBS and all of this. And I think it's it's quite clear to folks monitoring this event that he is coming under much more scrutiny and his viability as a future leader of a KSA is coming uh, more and more under qu- into question. You know, Dave, I, I, I've got to tell you that, you know, MBS could have had this done. He could have had this journalist murdered in Saudi Arabia and we'd be talking about some other topic. But because he initiated this action, or at least was complicit in some way in this action, and it's international, he's now really screwed up on the international stage where it could have been completely cloaked and hidden away had he done it within the borders of Saudi Arabia. Big mistake on his part and a a level of naivete that I guess we should probably expect from a young 30-year-old who's trying to spread his wings and assert himself. He's... needs to have a little more grounding and maturity and measurement in his actions. That's a cautious society, and he acted inappropriately, far too quickly, and I would say far too uh, aggressively. Well, sir, you bring up a larger point. We often talk about Saudi society is, you know, a little bit consensus-based, at least at the monarchy level. Do you see this event having long-term impact on his viability to rule? Like, is MBS a marked man now? Rachel, I think he is. I, his, um, his credibility is in question and his star is falling. Uh, that's, a, this, <laughs> that's a big family. There are other aspirants for that role. They may find one. Again, that's inside the Solomon family. That's, that's a Saudi Arabia discussion, but I could see where an alternative might become available. Yeah, I'd, I'd have to agree with General Marks, um, Rachel. I mean, uh, the stock of MBS is crashing. We'll see if there are any actions that he or his father can take. I mean, they've already tried to do a preemptive action, I guess, yesterday or the day before, uh, where they granted him a little more authority. I don't know the specifics, but, you know, that that's really not going to cut it. Yeah, Rachel, I think we covered a lot. The one thing I do want to add, as, you know, we've talked about earlier in this podcast, when it was originally announced about Pastor, the markets were a little bit roiled. By the time he was released, it seemed almost back page news. So I think this will be, it's part of the news cycle. It's clearly, you know, problematic, but it does not seem like the sort of thing that we'll be still talking about in six months from now. And I think that's kind of how the market's reacting and that's how the market's reacted to a lot of situations that just don't have that potential to escalate. And I think it's the same reaction because people don't want to lose money over being overly cautious in a world that's continuing to grow. Hey, Peter, this is Deptula. I think you're exactly spot on. That doesn't negate the heinous nature of the action that was committed, but I think you speak with pragmatic uh, reality and uh, perspective. Thank you so much to Rachel and Peter, Major General Spider Marks, and Lieutenant General David Deptula for this conversation. If any of our listeners would like to engage our team directly, they can contact us at info at academysecurities.com. Academy Securities is a service-disabled, veteran-owned investment bank with the social mission to hire, train, and mentor military veterans 
to develop careers in finance. I'm your host, Andrew Robinson. Thank you so much for spending the time with us, and we look forward to speaking to you again soon.